electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on our podcast, a roller coaster week for the stock market, especially tech. But shrinking valuations may not be a bad thing. Insider CEO Henry Blodgett. The stocks that do have a good foundation of earnings and growth have traded off less than the ones that are much more speculative, like Tesla, where you have to imagine an utterly fantastic future for that stock ever to justify its valuation. We spent over a year shopping only online. Former head of Walmart's e-commerce business, Mark Laurie, is betting that that is only the beginning. I think COVID definitely accelerated things, probably pulled up e-commerce by a couple of years. Still early innings here and uh, yeah, feeling bullish still. And he's making that bet with A-Rod. Those stories, but first, Elon Musk is tweeting about Doge again and masked, unmasked, come as you are, just as long as you're vaccinated. March 29th. CDC director warns of impending doom. So a lot has changed. You know what? I'm not complaining. It's much better. I'm very happy. It's Friday, May 14th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Overnight, I, 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 I like this. I just had one thing to say about the colonial restart. It's fascinating, isn't it? How many times these guys have done this and made millions and millions of dollars. So they sold colonial, the encryption stuff, for $5 million. The good news, the, 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 the good news is they got $5 million. I, I, Who knows? The good, the good news is they got $5 million. Bad, million. News, bad news, it's only worth 1100 bucks now. I don't know which crypto it was in, but they got when they got it, it was like $5 million. But now it's... Uh, <laughs> but the, uh, yeah, it's like, what? where did it go? It's like, I can't even buy... But the other thing, the encryption stuff they sold didn't work. I mean, what a, what a scam. I know. Right? It, it's been God. taking forever to kind of put it back up. I, I, you know, I, I wonder if that five million number is correct, because, right. you know, remember earlier in the week, all of these news agencies at the same time seemed to get the tip off that, oh, no ransom was paid and no ransom's going to be paid. Then very quickly yesterday, it was reversed. And a lot of news organizations, at first it was Bloomberg, but then there were a couple other that very quickly followed with that to say, oh, it's five million dollars. Look. They don't want to talk about this because the FBI doesn't like to have any ransoms ever paid because it only encourages additional attacks when things go through like this. I don't know that we know the truth to this point. But if you're a private company and it's either five million or 50 million is what it's going to cost you, unfortunately, and it is made easier, it seems like, with crypto. It's like you don't have to drop the bag off somewhere, you know, where, where, you know, please have it staked out or something. But that's been the point. That's the problem. That is the conundrum with crypto you could talk about how cash is used for illicit purposes but crypto can be used so much more efficiently for illicit purposes that's the beauty of it exactly but you saw the doj and the fbi investigating uh, with uh, with binance that they're going to be looking into these things because of just that tax avoidance from the irs or tax um, evadance uh, evading taxes or if you're looking at laundering and illicit activity i mean who knows what comes of this but 
the authorities are on alert, and things like the Colonial Pipeline only bring it more into the spotlight. Yeah, definitely. What else? Okay. Oh yeah. Now, and, and Musk, Musk is saying maybe, yeah, we're not taking Bitcoin. We may, we may accept Dogecoin. For real? So, oh, we may talk I about that a little bit later. I don't think that was for later. real. Oh, so he's not for real. He's, he got he bought a little more. I mean, so he's may, just saying, maybe it maybe it is. But by the way, it doesn't take up as much energy. Who knows? So I know, but it's um, not real. I mean, the energy is used for a reason. Let's talk masking because right. the the big the big story uh, beyond the Colonial Pipeline and and, and Bitcoin has been this uh, the new CDC guidance on masks that was issued yesterday. Uh, telling people fully vaccinated people no longer need to wear a face mask or stay six feet away from most others in most settings, whether indoors or outdoors. There are, though, exceptions, including healthcare settings, public transportation, or businesses that require masks. So there's a little bit of confusion here about what all this means. Here's CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky. Anyone who is fully vaccinated can participate in indoor and outdoor activities large or small, without wearing a mask or physical distancing. If you are fully vaccinated, you can start doing the things that you had stopped doing because of the pandemic. We have all longed for this moment when we can get back to some sense of normalcy. Not everyone, though, is ready to ditch the masks, and it is creating a lot of confusion. For example, Minnesota's governor plan to lift the state's mask mandate today, but mayors of Minneapolis and St. Paul plan to keep them in place. Now, officials in Nashville, Tennessee, initially said they would keep the mask mandate, then change their minds. Now, ordering the mandate lifted as of 6 a.m. Eastern today. House Speaker Pelosi plans to keep the mask mandate in place for the floor of the House of Representatives. Meanwhile, meanwhile grocery chain Kroger also planning to require masks. CVS says it is evaluating. So, Lots of different questions about how all of this gets handled. Well, I'm not really sure. I will say that the, 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 to me, the contradiction is, and, and maybe I understand it in a health, in a, in a medical setting, I don't get it. If, if we're saying that if you're, if you're vaccinated, you're fine, then, then I don't understand like the public transportation I mean, you're not, you're not really trying to, to explain this in terms of, of science, are you? Like it's always had science behind it. When were we doomed? What was the date of the doom? comment was that has it been a month since we were all doomed according to this the same when was that it was a month wasn't it when were we doomed we were doomed a month ago and now we're taking it off the so bigger issue th- is it was a new science how some do you new know published peer-reviewed papers it, it, on on masks that came out andrew no but the, the bigger issue with this is how do you know who's vaccinated and and now is it going to be the job of the grocery clerks and you know, the, the flight attendants and everybody else to find out, are you vaccinated and then have to police you about whether you wear the thing or not? That's the biggest issue. Most I of the time in, in workplaces, you're not even allowed to ask if somebody's vaccinated. I so, think the biggest <laughs> issue is whether you know, the, Bill Maher and, and the eight Yankees are contagious. I agree, because it, it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, you look at the numbers, especially for the Yankees, if there are eight of them of a few dozen who actually right. had this breakthrough after they claimed they'd been vaccinated. There's no way that this makes sense. Look, either there's new dangerous strains and we all need to be concerned, or there's a situation where J&J doesn't work. But, you know, I'd like to hear more on that. Or they got infected before the two-week period was up in any of those situations, or they didn't actually well, get vaccinated. Like, well, well, which well, one is it? If it is 60 or 70 for J&J, I mean, there will be breakthroughs. If it's the uh, the Pfizer or the yeah, Moderna, but there wouldn't, but, then but it's I weird. Think we, 
But it's even if it's 60 or 70 percent, it would not be that all, you know, seven or eight of these people are all getting it. That's there's some right. the, the Yankees thing is I'm with there Becky. Been, there's something totally, there have been 50, totally wrong and weird and strange about that particular so. situ, situation. But and, I think and by they, the way, we need I, we need to know more. It's important because this is being used as an issue for for potentially spreading misinformation about these vaccines. If if it's not the case, if there was something in between, if they got if they got vaccinated and then got it before the two week period was up or something, we need to know that too yeah. because it's making people look askance at the J and J vaccine. I heard it when I was at the pickup line for school yesterday. People talk about it. it was, but what uh, I do wonder in the longer term is, is whether what the CDC is doing now is part of some kind of strange behavioral science experiment, which is to say that, you know, we've talked with Dr. <laughs> Scotty Gottlieb. No, we've talked with him a lot about the fact that when the CDC hasn't lifted the mask mandate, it hasn't encouraged enough people. He's, he has said this on the air and other, others have talked about this. Right. It hasn't encouraged enough people to go get the vaccine because there's a view among some people in this country that, oh, you know, if I have to wear my mask anyway, why should I take the vaccine? And I do wonder whether there's lots of other things happening here that are beyond. Uh, and and in this, on this, I'm with you, Joe, as well. Oh, Maybe no. it, may, it may not be science, this part. Oh, no. That's finally <laughs> occurring to you. Uh, March 29th. It's not that it's when. finally March occurring 29th. to you. March 29th. March 29th. CDC in director certain- warns of impending doom. So it was more than a month. It wasn't... Uh, it was more than a month. I thought it was just a month when we heard that. But a lot has changed. You know what? I'm not complaining. It's much better. I'm very happy. The price of Dogecoin jumping overnight after Elon Musk tweeted, uh, working with Doge developers to improve system transaction efficiency. Potentially promising. You're going to buy your Teslas with a, uh, with a Dogecoin? On Wednesday, Musk made that surprise announcement that Tesla would stop accepting Bitcoin due to environmental concerns. Dogecoin fell significantly after Musk's appearance on Saturday Night Live, tumbling from a high of 67 cents. It was hit just a week ago. Uh, Separately, publicly traded crypto exchange platform Coinbase said yesterday it plans to offer Dogecoin support sometime in the next six to eight weeks. Remember, it started in 2013 as a joke, but has grown to be the fourth largest crypto uh, by market value, uh, worth more than uh, $69 billion. I did see a lot of, you know, I see a lot of stuff about what it goes, how much fossil fuel goes into the production of, of like a Tesla car and then the lithium battery, what mining looks like there and how much coal is used to, to uh, you know, to fire up the grid to allow the, your car to be uh, reinvested in. Just a lot of cynics. Uh, I guess maybe it's the people that follow me, but a lot of cynics that, uh, about the whole Elon, um, you know, that, that, weird, that it very quick flip-flop on true Bitcoin believers. we saw this week. Yeah. yeah, true believers don't like it when people are fickle. Well, I thought Elon, Elon then he says he is a true believer, so it's crazy. Coming up on Squawk Pod, insider CEO Henry Blodgett, where Bitcoin started, where it is now, and why it might be a while before we see where it's going. There are good fundamental reasons why we may have cryptocurrencies and blockchain in the future. That doesn't mean that dozens of cryptocurrencies are all going to do well forever. So to me, at this point, it's just pure speculation. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. All is good. It's Friday. Good morning. And welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. We are now 93%. (laughs) Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Burying the lead. 93% of the way. 93% through the week? Through the week. 14, 15th. 14, 15th. It's Friday. You're in love. (laughs) We don't play that anymore, which is good. Good and bad. Good and good and bad. 93.3%. And as a, now we're probably more than that th- through the week. Not that I'm not that anybody's counting. It has been a rough week for the biggest tech names. We talked so much about them. Tesla down 13% since Monday. Google parent Alphabet now down more than 5%. Amazon, Facebook, Apple, Microsoft also lower. Joining us right now to talk about the tech turnaround of late. Henry Blodgett, insider, uh, co-founder and CEO. Henry, it's great to see you. Um, great to see all of you. Let, let's Thanks. just talk Let's talk about this moment because you had you, we have we have the Fang stocks all off. We have some of the big high flyers off. Uh, Ark Invest, uh, of course, uh, which has been this high flying ETF that had so many of those names in it. Um, also, not only off because those are off, but maybe even helping perpetuate some of this because people are taking their money out of that. What do you see happening here? Well, I think the sector as a whole got to a pretty frothy high valuation, and I don't interestingly. The core tech stocks, the ones that are profitable and growing at a steady rate, are actually at this level reasonable. Facebook is trading at 25 times earnings, for example. And I think what you've seen and what you just outlined is that the stocks that do have a good foundation of earnings and growth have traded off less than the ones that are much more speculative, like Tesla, where you have to imagine an utterly fantastic future for that stock ever to justify its valuation. We've seen the SPACs get hammered. Obviously, a lot of crypto has been hammered. Crypto is where the real speculative mania is right now. But I think actually, if you look at the core tech stocks, including some of the cloud stocks, now the valuations are okay. It doesn't tell you much about what's going to happen next week or next year, but they, they were starting to get into a zone where a company like Snowflake that is growing as fast as it's growing, you know, six times revenue, that seems okay. Uh, what about Tesla? What about Palantir? Where, Tesla, where, where do you... <laughs> to me, Tesla has always been extraordinarily speculative. And I, if you look at you look at a lot of the big tech stocks, a lot of them seem to be coalescing around 10 times revenue. If you you do not have to have unbelievably heroic assumptions because these are companies mostly that should have a high profit margin or they're a subscription based business like Snowflake that ultimately should have you know it's like Salesforce it should be really locked in Tesla's very different this is still mainly right. an automobile company it's going to have a much lower margin so for Tesla to be trading at well over ten times revenue again. If the speculative mood breaks and people dash for cover, I think there's a lot more downside there. Okay, here's my big question. I want to ask you about about crypto, because to me, crypto is in this moment that feels like the late 90s to me, not necessarily in a bad way, which is to say that, you know, there were so many Internet companies that emerged during the late 90s. Many, many failed and a couple of them won. 
And then, of course, the Internet emerged as this as this remarkable force in our economy. It's very possible in my mind that blockchain similarly does the same thing. The question is, which ones are going to be resilient and which ones aren't? And I think it's very hard to make those those picks right now. But given uh, your experience over the years, how do you think about that? I, I think you've, you've outlined exactly the way I think about it. And I think that's the smart way to think about it, which is you know, there are good fundamental reasons why we may have cryptocurrencies and blockchain in the future. They are certainly taking a long time to get here. I will say it's been over a decade and we're still not seeing enormous usage of it. But good fundamental reasons for that. But to your point, that doesn't mean that dozens of cryptocurrencies are all going to do well forever. So to me, at this point, it's just pure speculation. And I say that, and folks like Joe, who own Bitcoin, immediately sort of take umbrage at that, and I'm not a speculator. Speculating is fine. There's nothing wrong morally with speculating. Obviously, tons of people have made tons of money doing it. It's fun. It's interesting. But if someone is investing, especially in a lot of the cryptocurrencies that are not the big names, we'll talk about Bitcoin in a second, and expecting that they're just going to go up forever and it's just a matter of holding them, then I think that person needs a talking to. Um, and you on said the you wanted to talk, to, to talk about, give, give, but give me the Bitcoin piece of it. And the other the question I'd also ask is, you, you, I remember looking at Amazon in the late 90s. People called it Amazon.com. You know, people, it wasn't preordained just because they had a big brand that it was going to work. No, absolutely. And I wonder whether and, you think the same thing about Bitcoin or not. No, and I think that's true with other internet stocks too. AOL, Yahoo, eBay, these were all just, you know, they were the blue chips. They were the ones that were definitely going to make it. And as we've seen, one or two of them made it and did really well. The others went basically to zero. So I, I think with Bitcoin, the big issue is five years ago, the story was this is going to be the new money. Everybody's going to use it. Now, everybody understands that it's actually not well designed as a transaction currency. It's very hard to do. It's very resource intensive. So the new story is it's going to be the new gold. We're just going to flip into it. And I think that when every time we want to save money and so forth, that's possible. I also have heard many people who are way smarter than I am, who invest in a lot of crypto, say that Bitcoin's design is just bad. And eventually, we're going to move on to much more efficient, much better designed cryptocurrency. So if I were Joe and I had a big Bitcoin position, which I do not, uh, that's what I would be worried about. Because at this point, it is just simply a matter of what somebody else will pay for it. And the only thing that I'll say on that before Joe jumps in and says, Henry, you should own Bitcoin, is when Bitcoin was 90 in 2011, when a bunch of venture capitalists described it to me, I said, look, this is the perfect asset for a speculative bubble. It could go to a million. Uh, and I still stand by that. It could trade well, at a dollar or a million. It's the same. That's nice that you can just opine on it and, and say it's <laughs> worth somewhere between zero and a million without, exactly. any risk to, without any risk to you, without ever putting your money where your mouth is. And but just, that's the joy just of it. You, blah, you don't blah. have to be Besides, a speculator. I do not have a big position, number, two, number one. And number two, maybe it's not as big as it used to be. Remember what Kramer said? He turned a bunch of fake money into mortgage money because he Ooh, had Bitcoin sorry. too. There is well a time. When, there is a time maybe where you know nobody knows what I have. Okay, except <laughs> me and and my maker, and my and my boss. Okay. Vanilla Fair Pitch. enough. And good for you to convert it into dollars and real assets. <laughs> yeah, right. dollars that real that, estate. That, that real so, estate. It always goes are, back to yeah, real estate. Right. Dollars that are so house. scarce. Dollars that are so scarce and so so precious. 
Yeah, and so, uh, you know, so well cared after by, <laughs> by the Fed. Okay, that's the whole point, Henry. Buy some property, Joe. Henry, thank you. Have a great weekend, my friend. Great to see you all. Right. Thank you. Next on Squawk Pod, scroll, click, purchase. The future of retail. A conversation with founder of Jet.com and former head of Walmart's U.S. e-commerce, Mark Laurie. I definitely think uh, social commerce is uh, is going to be a big part of the future of retail, for sure. And the ability to buy, you know, directly from influencer videos right off the platform makes it really seamless. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Serial entrepreneur Mark Laurie is on to his next venture. Now, his name might ring a bell. Laurie founded Jet.com, remember that one? It was acquired by Walmart for $3 billion. After that deal, Laurie led Walmart's US e-commerce business. And in the last four years, he transformed Walmart's online business, helping Walmart rise to the number two online shopping site after Amazon. Lori left Walmart for a multi-decade project to build what he calls a city of the future, supported by a reformed version of capitalism. He's also teaming up with former New York Yankee Alex Rodriguez, they're building a venture capital firm. The two were also working together to buy the Minnesota basketball team, the Timberwolves, but that plan has yet to come to fruition. Becky Quick spoke with Jet.com founder Mark Laurie about e-commerce after COVID and what he's been up to since leaving Walmart. Here's Becky. Mark, it's great to see you here today. This is your first interview since you stepped down from that position at Walmart. It's, yeah, it's really good to have you here today. Thank you. Yeah, great to be here, Becky. Nice to see you. So. I have so many things I want to talk about with you. I know we're never going to have enough time to get to all of it, but very quickly, I just want to ask you about e-commerce, where things stand right now, especially with what we've seen, some of the sell-off. What do you think as somebody who knows e-commerce probably better than just about anybody on the planet? Yeah, I think, I mean, COVID definitely accelerated things, probably pulled up e-commerce by a couple of years. And, uh, you know, things did run up, like you said, and now it's just uh, selling off a bit. I think long-term, obviously, e-commerce has still got a long ways to go. It's still early innings here. And uh, yeah, feeling bullish still. When I look at what you're doing right now, there are so many interesting things. But let's start off with this new venture capital pro uh, uh, plan that you have with A-Rod. This is something where you each put $50 million or $50 million total of your own money into this. You're hoping to have 300 to $500 million that then you can go out and put into companies. Um, but you're looking at this a little differently as somebody who's like a serial entrepreneur you're taking bigger stakes in the companies that, that you do take stakes in. What's your, what's your theory behind this VC fund? Yeah, so it's called uh, VCP, uh, stands for Vision Capital People. And I do believe if you get those three things right, you could make uh, big things happen. And a lot of times as an entrepreneur, you have a really big vision. And, you know, the capital early stages is, you know, you get a few hundred thousand, maybe a million or two to kind of prove out and then you get to another round and then you prove out and get to another round and prove out. And there's lots of pain along the way, having to raise incremental rounds of financing. 
Um, this is, we're going to do it a little different than typical VC firm. We're basically going to either come up with the idea ourselves, the vision, or find a great founder with the vision and give them 10 million seed capital up front and go after a big market in a really big way fast. Um, that'll enable them to hire a much better team out of the gate. A lot of times, you know, when you're strapped when you're early on, you can't really afford to hire an executive team. Uh, in this case, you can. And the plan is to go big quick um, and follow that $10 million roundup with like a 50 or $100 million Series A and go after really big opportunities. So that's something that doesn't really exist in the market right now and we're excited about. Uh, we actually have been making a number of investments, like you said, with that $50 million. I think we're at the beginning stages of a couple of mega trends in retail specifically, uh, one being conversational commerce. We use text and voice to do shopping. And the other is social commerce. And Alex and I just invested in a company called Now With, uh, two amazing founders, Abra Potkin and Nicole Winneman. And uh, it basically connects like uh, you know Instagram followers to brands to, to bring uh, great products to those platforms. And so really excited about that. The, uh, the venture capital that you're talking about, doing this and investing big doesn't exist. And probably for a reason, it means that you better be right with every one of the bullets that you shoot because you're taking a big chunk of your capital and putting it in. I, I know with now with you're, you're putting in $10 million and taking a 40% stake in the company. So it better pay off. What makes you so sure that this is the company that will do that? Yeah. I mean, first of all, in terms of the strategy, I think Having 10 million to seed and being able to follow it up with 50 million gives the company a much better chance of success. So it's sort of self-fulfilling. You have the capital. You can hire the great people. If you've got a vision and the timing's right, it should all come together. And owning 40 to 80 percent of a company means that you don't really need as many hits. One big hit, uh, you know, at a at a 40 percent stake pays for everything else. And so I do like the idea of these concentrated bets rather than just sprinkling dollars around. Like we have the ability to actually, um, you know, influence and, and be a leader in the, in the space that the company's in, given the capital and the types of people we're able to bring in. Now with sounds an awful lot, like th this idea of having influencers actually selling product through that, having content together with sales, retail sales, sounds an awful lot like what Walmart's been doing with this tie-up with TikTok, the way it's been kind of playing around with. Was that your idea? I know you're still an advisor at Walmart too. Yeah, no, that definitely wasn't my idea, but I was definitely helping uh, you know, Doug and, and team think through that. So yeah, I definitely think uh, social commerce is, uh, is going to be a big part of the future of retail for sure. Uh, and the ability to buy you know, directly from influencer videos right off the platform makes it really seamless. I mean, it's kind of what Alibaba does, too. Is, is, is this what you think the new wave is going to be? I do. I do. This is one of them. I think uh, conversational commerce as well. The ability to use voice and text to get anything you want. I think that's the future. I think in 20 years from now, the idea of like going to a search engine and typing in toaster and getting 10,000 responses now to figure out which one to buy, that's going to be something we're going to laugh at in 20 years. So it's going to take time. We're sort of early stages now. But I think conversational commerce is today where uh, e-commerce was back in the in sort of the late 90s. Mark, why did you leave Walmart? I mean, you were your head of all the e-commerce operations there. What made you decide you wanted to go back out on your own again? No, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I love building stuff. Uh, when I was little, I wanted to be a farmer because they grow stuff from nothing. That's what I like to do. I like to build stuff from nothing. And I uh, was at Walmart, you know, four and a half years. I think we um, you know, put uh, e-commerce in a really good place. There's a great team there. The strategy and vision is sound. Um, and just felt like it was the right time to go out and, and start uh, creating new things.
Hey, Mark, um, there was a report last week um, from Business Insider uh, that uh, had, had found a document that was used, a, a Walmart uh, document for advertisers. Um, they were, they were, it was an RFP, and it was talking about some of the challenges that Walmart's now facing uh, against Amazon and Instacart on the digital side. And I was just hoping you could speak to that because the suggestion effectively was made in the document, which apparently was a Walmart document, that, that effectively they felt that they were way, way behind and it was getting worse, not better. Yeah, I, I find that hard to believe. I mean, Walmart is really well positioned given the fact that there's 4,700 stores within 10 miles and 90% of the U.S. population, groceries in almost every one of those stores. Uh, it's fresh. It's great prices. Um, we're able to get it uh, to, to customers fast. And, you know, now with COVID starting to, to you know, go away, I think this whole idea of delivering directly into people's homes and into the refrigerator is going to come back in a big way. And Walmart's positioned better than anyone to take advantage of that. Um, and so, so I, I think uh, I feel good about where they are. So apparently Walmart was effectively telling these ad agencies, you need to somehow figure out a better messaging, a, a, a better, better advertising campaign for us because we're worried about losing market share, especially uh, on groceries to the Instacarts and the Amazons. So, so I recognize that you think they're well positioned, but clearly even internally there's anxiety about this. I think, I think it's, a, it's a really important part of the strategy. It's very competitive. Uh, it makes sense to me that you'd want to continue to step up your game on advertising. I, I don't know the details. I have no idea. I've not been close to it at all. But uh, I do know that they're, they're really well positioned. It's an important part of the strategy. And um, you know, I wouldn't bet against Walmart in this area. Hey, Mark, it's good to see you. Um, love to hear more about some of the new ventures that you're working on, too. So come on back soon, okay? Okay, sounds good. Good talking back. Take care. That's the show for today. And that does it for Squawk Pod this week. Thank you for riding the wild waves of Wall Street with us. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern to catch them live. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you listen to podcasts. And let us know what you think. Send us a tweet at Squawk CNBC or leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts or both. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.